Hello everyone and welcome to Wednesday Night Live on this last Wednesday evening of April. I am absolutely astounded at how quickly these weeks are passing by. But with that being said, we are in the midst of one of the most amazing times that Christians will ever experience. And for all of us who have been privileged to be born into this time frame and to be living now, I think that we should rejoice in the Lord that he chose to give us the opportunity to know him and to serve him in in my thinking, the most cataclysmic moment in human history. Now you say, well, there, there are all kinds of other times in history. I know that. I, I enjoy reading histories. Even there, there are so many amazing civilization clashes that have happened in the history of man that we don't really publicize in our in our history classes. So there have been, there have been a lot of times that have been uh, pivotal in the development of what we know to be civilization today. But none of them are aligned with the end time scriptures in the way that we are experiencing today. Now I also recognize that over the past hundred years and even beyond that there were individuals who thought that they were living in the very last days and so they did dramatic things and urged people to do dramatic things to preserve themselves. The problem is with that that during those times there were not situations um, inherent in society or in technology that would have allowed for uh, the prophecies of the time of the end to take place. And it's obvious to look back upon those times and think, now, you people were, you were, most of you were sincere, but you were really missing the proper interpretation of what God says is really going to happen in the time of the end. We see today just about every scenario that would say, yes, this can happen now. Yes, this can happen now. Yes, this can happen. I think back to in the, uh, in the early 70s uh, when there were uh, great numbers of emphasis about the rapture and you know you had lots of movies and lots of songs and books that were written about how the Lord was coming at any moment and the Antichrist was going to be revealed and you know we, we believe that we believe that the scripture is true but in that time even as a teenager, 
I recognized that there were so many things that the Bible said had to happen in the time of the end that were just not possible at that time. And therefore, the whole schematic of a, an interpretive time frame was skewed. And I, I just was stunned. I remember one time there was an evangelist, a, a prophetic evangelist. Of course, in those days, prophecy only meant one thing. Who's the Antichrist? When's Jesus coming? Um, buy these books about the end time. Um, but there was an evangelist that came to my church in Pennsylvania. And one of his main uh, evenings of meeting was focused upon a massive computer that was in somewhere in Brussels, Belgium that they called the beast. And he said that this was the beast that the scriptures spoke of, and here's a picture of it. And he, man, he went off on that. And people were in fear. And I thought, first of all, back in those days, I was talking to my granddaughters about this. Uh, they had no, they have no conception of a time when we didn't have computers, no conception of a time when people didn't have cell phones or iPads, and you know that makes sense. They're just little kids, but um, you recognize now that whatever that was in um, computer ease back in those days, my cell phone has greater capacity than any of that. In fact. You can look this up, even the, the moon launch in the late 60s, in 1969, when men, uh, mankind first walked on the earth, on the, on the moon. Um, that combined technology is dwarfed by even the most simplistic thing we have now. So, and I remember in, um, in the 70s, in my high school, we were given the opportunity to study computer science and I remember looking in this room and there was a massive machine in there and I thought as a kid I don't want to have anything to do with that because I was just a kid I didn't have any I didn't have any guidance as to what I should study or not study um, but to think during those days that we were in alignment with the things that the Bible says needed to happen for the end time to really be in place, I think in, in retrospect that was short-sighted and, dare I say, foolish, fear-mongering in a lot of ways. Let's, let's, let's do this, we'll promote our ministry, and let's get people uh, up to the altars, get them saved, get them in the church. Of course, then after I became pastor here in Dallas, my first year, I uh, elected in uh, May of 1987, and there was a book that was out, 87 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1987, and that date was sometime in October. And 
Oh my goodness, that swept the Christian community by storm. And I remember that Sunday morning, it was the weekend that Jesus was supposed to have come. I, I, other than Easter Sunday mornings, the, the place was packed with people. I mean, it, it was, we were bringing chairs in to put in the aisles, in the balcony and in, 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 uh, in on the main floor. And our Peace Chapel was, was really well populated. And of course, he didn't come. At least I hope he didn't come, or we all missed it. Of course, then he re recalculated and he said 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. There wasn't an 89 reasons for 89. Now, I know the sincerity of people. I'm not saying that everybody's a shyster. I'm not saying that. And we should be aware of eschatological passages in Scripture, but we should be wise. We should look at them from a scholastic, spirit, divinely inspired scholastic pursuit. So we are not, so we're not unschooled in what the Scriptures say. But we don't need to be patching in uh, frog DNA with dino DNA, if you any Jurassic Park reference there. We don't need to be adding um, our own viewpoints and our own wishes and hopes and, and aspirations into the mix of interpreting those scriptures. But my point is that at this time, we we can see things like what is whispered in a corner shouted from the housetops yeah we're seeing that right now and no one can buy or sell without this particular mark yeah we're seeing that right now i remember in the past there were people who protested um getting a uh, like if you went to an amusement park and you wanted to re-enter or you know, if it, if it was some kind of a thing where you bought a certain ticket and you um, you then were entitled to, I don't know, free access to a certain ride. I don't know. It could have been anything. Uh, there were people who would not take that stamp on their hand or the little bracelet around their wrist because they said that was bowing to the mark of the beast. And they believe that, people still believe that today, but yet we have our children who, I mean, you go to a, you go to a birthday party, especially with little girls, they came, they come back with all kinds of stuff, the little fake uh, mark, markers on themselves, they get fingernails and, um, you know, little fake tattoos with the little ponies and stuff like that, that r wash off with their first bath. I just think we need to be wise and not knee-jerky, and um, especially in these days. And there are there are things that we see other than technology, and other than um, other aspects of the scripture that we have noted that would say, yes, this is this is we are poised now for these things that are prophesied here to come about. And and I think even the, the things that have happened this past year with COVID and the restrictions and uh, government control around the world, not in just some far-flung despotic country, but around the world. I mean, this is 
these are test patterns for the control the enemy is wanting to assert. So we as saints and pneumaticos people need to be looking for things that God would, in the scripture, that God would counsel his children uh, to watch out for and to be warned about, especially in alignment with his ways, his principles of scripture. And one of them is the topic that we're going to talk about today that we touched on a bit yesterday uh, in Saints Radio. And that is the topic of hatred. As I, I see in the scripture, and you can see it too, that God puts a great premium upon how we respond to the opportunity to move in hatred. And I would also say that hatred, the presence of hatred, is usually involved as a stepping stone into the miraculous. How many times in the Bible did we see hatred manifest itself and the 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 champion of God the the person who God wanted to bestow upon them a miracle or to lead them into a pathway of miracles they had to deal with unjustified hatred and not succumb to it and move um, in the midst of it while keeping their focus on what God had said. It's, it's throughout the word. You know, I was so many examples. Leah, for instance, who uh, God saw she was hated. Um, you know, how many of those do we see in the scripture? We see, I could just give lots of examples. It, it, it's, it's there for all of us to see. But with that being established, I think we need to recognize that there is an atmosphere of hatred that is trying to grip, I'm speaking from the United States, but I, I, trying to grip the USA. And through that, to divide, bring strife, wherein we welcome every evil work. And the target of this hatred, hatred stands on its own. It's like an influence. It's almost like an, a spiritually atmospheric condition that precedes breakthrough. And how we respond to that influence or not respond to it will determine whether we go through in victory or we are defeated. Uh, hatred does not have to have a cause. And usually it is based upon, uh, in some way or form, a- an animus toward the principles of God or the people who are 
holding on to that relationship. Now, this coming Saturday, May 1st, is the first Saturday of the fifth month. And for a number of years, the, the Lord has asked the Saints Network to come together as one on a time that we call First Saturday Prayer. Now, the Saints should be praying every day. But to have a targeted focus and an, an obedient accord in prayer on First Saturday has been something that is united and glorified and united the people of God and glorified Him throughout the world. Um, I, I have to say, I feel almost like the plumber in his house where um, and we have good people here at the Father's Church. I'm, I'm not mocking them at all. But I have to say that First Saturday is greatly embraced in nations around the world, much more so than I see in my own house here. <laughs> uh, but that's, uh, that's another story. I think it's like the plumber's kids, you know, the, the dripping faucet is, goes on and on because we're ministering elsewhere. But the plumber's kids should know how to fix that faucet, be that as it may. We started praying on first Saturday, and then a, a number of years ago, God said, I've heard this very clearly, that we needed to establish the principles that were put forward in the book of Zechariah, but also honored in other places in, in the, the scriptural narrative of uh, the, the fast of feasting in the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth month. Now, we're not aligning ourselves with the ancient Hebraic calendar. So some of you purists will say, well, say it's not going to work. It's the principle. God wants obedience more than sacrifice. And so the principle for us is what we honor. We're not bound by the law. but We're moving forward in grace. Now, those four months for in the book of Zechariah for the Jewish people in captivity in Babylon were really an angelic Lord of hosts directive for the people to stop belly aching and to stop murmuring and complaining in bitterness. Those four months were memorials to climactic moments of destruction um, that happened in Jerusalem on behalf of the people of God as they were sent away into captivity. And those folks in Babylon, it was like July 4th in reverse. The 4th, the 5th, 7th, and the 10th, they would just lament and they would be bitter and they would complain to God, oh, woe is me. And God said, enough of that. I want you to take those months and first of all not do that type of thing anymore but instead I want you to look forward. I want you to be proactive in your viewpoints. I want you to speak truth. What is God going to do? We don't know how he's going to do it. We have, we have some promises but we're going to have to walk in faith to see it happen. What is God going to do? And what is it going to be like 
when that victory is achieved, truth and peace. And that's what you should be speaking. And so this was proclaimed, and I believe that when God asked us to honor this principle, he was saying you need to get that, that type of bitterness and lamenting and hardening of your heart. You need to lay that out before me, ask me to cleanse that from you, and you need to be proactive. And so we've been doing our best to honor this for the past many years, and we are entering into the fifth month. Now, we've done studies about this. What did each of those months represent? That's, that's not what our topic is today. I mean, you can study that for yourself. You can put a four-point sermon together. But the, the, the real issue is, what's in your life that you just hold on to like a relic of the past that you whip out all the time to basically say, woe is me, um, God's abandoned me, you know, what, what is there with you? And you need to get that and lay it before the Lord, sincerely lay it before the Lord. I recognize that some of that sentiment is your favorite song. Some of that sentiment is your best friend. And you need to say adios to that thing and make it die, get rid of it. So you see, in large degree, the need for this application prophetically in our country. There are people today who are acting as if we are still living in the antebellum South. They're acting today like the march in Selma happened last week. Um, there are people today who, um, on the other hand, embrace notions of the past, lost causes that never really were God's causes. And they run those things up the flagpole and after they've burned old glory and um, they salute it. Um, you know, and we don't recognize in this country the truth of how far America has come. It is the most diverse country on earth. It really is. Um, it has more opportunity than any country on earth. God has blessed this nation. Yes, we've had a difficult past and we are grateful that God has led us from that past and into a new day. Yes, are there vestiges there that we need to continue to ask God to perfect? Well, of course, that's always going to be in any of our lives. But to get yourself into a lather about things that happened 200 years ago or 250 years ago is nonsense. If you just look at what benefits and the progressions that have been made in, in our lives today, um, you, you, would be, um, you would be much better off. You know, I'm firmly believing that this current 
environment of protest and hatred is an enemy tactic in a specific way to stand against what God has prophesied is coming. Uh, I, I believe that all of these things we see going on in our nation and in the world, we must not walk by sight, but by faith. What has God said? What is the truth and peace that God is leading us into? And how is he going to manifest dynamic victory uh, through it? Now, I wanted us to read a passage in Zechariah chapter 8. There's no teaching sheet today. We're, we're going old school. We're going to look at three passages of scripture, and certainly that's an easy thing for you to reference. Or you can just listen real good as I read out of the scripture. But Zechariah chapter 8 says this in verse 16 through the end of the chapter. These are the things that you should do. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. Love no false oath, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. The word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness, cheerful tobe feasts, Therefore love the truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people, and the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray for the Lord, pray before the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. I will go also. Nay, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, and shall take hold of the kanaf of him that is a Jew, saying, or, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, we've taught on the aspects of this in a number of ways. Some people want to just restrict this to Jerusalem. But we are we are following the mandate of Jesus when he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. It's not all about Jerusalem. It's about in every mountain, which, what Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is looking for people who will welcome his kingdom. And the kanaf, the, the skirt, is the, the identity of what God has called you to be and to do. And it says the Jew there, if you look at this, that's the Hebrew he, ish, which is a mature one. So when we're in this scenario um, of predominant hatred, it's, it's an atmosphere, it's a spirit. And what happens is it motivates people who are, who are willing to be motivated and they move with it like a, a strong tailwind 
maneuvering their ship toward an intended goal. And anybody who doesn't get in line with that then becomes an enemy. Anybody who is embracing a higher calling or scripture or say they're a Christian and really act like it, you are targeted because you're coming against the objective of that hateful influence. And in the middle of all that is what is really a stepping stone into prophetic fulfillment. Why does it say people will go to Jerusalem? Because that was the miracle in this in that day that the people in the dispersion were believing for, that they were going to return and re reestablish that city and reestablish the temple. What has God promised us today? He's looking for mature ones who will honor the calling of the kanaf that God has identified you with. And we are children of the Lord. We're moving in truth and in peace. And we, we must recognize that principle that in the midst of a, a climactic moment where the promise of God is about to be fulfilled, God works in us to cleanse our thinking, to, he urges us to surrender the things of the past and to press forward into the, into the mark of the high calling in Christ. And we must also recognize that in that moment, there is, there is a, an atmosphere, I keep using that term, but it's just true, of hatred. And you will probably experience that if you've not already. And you have to do two things with it. Number one, you can't buy into that hatred. And number two, it will do you no good whatsoever to try to defend yourself or whatever it is that you're believing in God in the midst of that hatred. You know, men are supposed to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You're not going to debate anybody into the kingdom. Now, what was the Apostle Paul doing when he would go to synagogues and he, he would speak of the law and he would speak of the true Messiah? He wasn't arguing, even though some of the people that were uh, purists of the law didn't like what he was saying because it threatened them. It threatened their traditions. It threatened their point of power. It, it threatened their control over the people. It's the same thing that happened with Jesus when he would teach the word with power, not as the Pharisees. And they said, we got to get rid of this guy. We studied recently about Caiaphas and how he said, we got to get rid of this guy, Jesus, for the good of ourselves and for the good of what we have established as a nation. And so um, you've got to be really careful that if, if you don't, God told me a long time ago, don't defend yourself and don't chase after people. And that is, that sounds simple, 
But it's a difficult thing. We have to know what we believe. And Paul felt a calling to witness to those Jewish brethren and to show them the light of the Scripture. But, you know, but there, I've noticed this. There are some people who thump Bibles that aren't interested in what you're saying. And you just need to shake the dust off your feet. Now, with that, though, you don't want to harbor hatred in your heart. How do you recognize these factors are going on? You're not going to like them. You're, you're probably going to be... Um, in some ways hurt by things that people do and say it's no sin to say ouch when somebody slaps you but it's uh it's how you deal with that and how you process that that is the issue uh let's look at another passage of scripture and it's from the book of Luke, chapter 6. This is a variation of the, the Beatitude message. And I, some people think, well, this was a partial telling. I don't really think that. I think this was such a strong principle, especially what we're going to read here, that Jesus was continually telling his disciples what we're going to read. Yes, it was the tail end of the Beatitudes. Uh, but that wasn't just a one-off sermon. And you can buy the CD. Judas was selling those. Um, but this, this was a principle. They, they not only had to follow, but they had to recognize as being operative in Jesus, and they needed to be like that. So Luke 6, verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when men shall hate you. It reminds me of that Grinch movie. Some of you saying, I never saw the movie. I don't care whether you've seen it. You, you, should, you should be hearing a reference. If I was quoting Churchill, you wouldn't say, well, I never read the book. Uh, but the, the story in the, in the Grinch, when he, was, he had this big megaphone on the top of a mountain, and he was going through the phone book, and he was yelling in the megaphone how much he hated individuals i hate you i lose you um there are people who will hate you and they will separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast your name out as evil for the son of man's sake you're blessed in that you're you're blessed in that you say well how in the world am I blessed in that? That that makes no sense. I mean, that it, it, I just. But Jesus said it, so it really has to be true. But I, I don't really see how I am blessed in that. Well, it's it's a different word. Remember, we've talked about this word makarios before, and that's the word. Uh, for translated as blessing there. And it, it really had its roots in um, ancient, ancient Greece to where um, it, it reflected 
many things, but it reflected that you had something better that you were holding on to that was far surpassing anything that was in front of you right there at that moment. And you you would look upon that understanding, that happiness, that that delight in the midst of whatever it is that's going on. This is not eulogio, this is not Eucharistia, this is Makarios. And so basically what it's saying is when you see these things happen, people hating you, separating themselves, reproaching you, if you try to chase them down and figure out, what did I do? What's wrong? Oh, I don't want you to feel this way. You're, you're going to wear yourself out and, and you're not going to accomplish anything anyway. Um, but in the midst of those things where the presence of hate is evident, you don't react, you don't try to persuade those who hate, you, you rejoice in the Lord at the good things. Maybe, maybe this is better said since we have established or stated that hate is present before the breakthrough. Maybe you should view those circumstances and say, well, I don't really like that this is going on, but I recognize this as a sign of something that is immediately to come or next, not saying how much time would take place, but the revival that's coming, the the miraculous that's coming, the visitations of the Spirit, the the amazing prophecies that have been brought forward. What God has said is going to come with the former and latter rain. What God's going to say where he pours out his spirit on all flesh. I have to look at this hatred that's immediately in front of me and not dive into it. Just just as, as, easy, as hard as it is at times, just look the other way and recognize it for what it is. Even if it's insane, which a lot of it is today, even if it is based on lies, even if it is directing itself against things that we hold dear and precious as Christians, as saints, as Americans, as citizens of France, as citizens of Mexico, or wherever we may live, we must recognize that that event is um, is going to be in place in some way before the great breakthrough. What's the next verse? Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. We taught about the spinning, spinning um, in the air. Uh, joy is looking ahead. It's not some Mona Lisa grin. It's looking ahead. The joy set before the Lord um, is how he endured. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same manner, the, the forefathers of this thing did, under the, did this under the prophets. Now, if, you, if you, you see the very same thing Jesus says 
in, um, in the, the longer version of the Beatitudes where this principle is proclaimed again. And, you know, you could say, well, if, if I'm meek and I'm pure in heart and I uh, hunger and thirst and if I do all these things, why in the world is there such hatred? Well, we, we know, first of all, why, why would there be an atmosphere of hatred? Well, I think a number of reasons. Number one, it's something that the enemy recognizes is there, and he tries to utilize it. And he tries to, um, he tries to convince the uninformed or the uninterested that they need to buy into it. But why would God create that? This principle was not established just because of the enemy. Well, you know, the enemy's out there. You know, he, he uh, created this craziness. And uh, so here's a principle. Now, the principles of God are eternal. I dare say that when the enemy convinced seven principalities to fall and disobey God and rebel and a score of angels to get in line with that rebellion, he employed something of a measure of hatred in them. You know, he's creating a creature that's going to be like him and they're going to be over us and we're going to have to serve them. You know, look who you are. You know, you're, you're being done wrong. You know, that kind of thing. Injustice, uh, perceived injustice, um, a lack of humility, a lack of subservience, and then that creates anger and then that creates uh, that anger foments and it creates this fume of hatred. But, so what was this before the enemy rebelled? Well, I suspect that even without people hating you, when we've believed God for things, I remember before anybody Back in 1996, well, way back in 96, uh, I remember when God began to speak to me and then began to lead the congregation at that time to fast through the spring and into the summer, asking God to move among us and change what we were. And I think that a lot of the people thought, well, pastor's kind of nutty, but he's losing weight and you know, well, he's been around for a while, so we'll just trust him. You know, who? maybe we'll have a revival meeting and uh, people will like it and they'll say good things about our church. Maybe that's what they thought. But at that point, other than the enemy, I think the enemy was just kind of watching what, what's going to happen here. Um, he seeks, he roams about seeking what he may devour. And if you're roaming about, that doesn't mean that you're... you're uh, you're actually attacking. You're you're in as a cat would do. You ever see those of you who have cats or have had cats? Sometimes when they play or they be out in the yard, you know, Kelly and Fabian's dog Maya will just stand at the window and bark at squirrels. I mean, just and then you hear Kelly bark back, Maya. You know that that happens regularly. But when the cat's outside. It's not going, meow. 
when it's trying to sneak up on a bird or um, or a squirrel or whatever it may be after, it kind of lurks around. And I think the enemy was kind of curious, what what is this thing? But at that time, there wasn't pronounced hatred. Within a year, it would sure come. But at that moment, before an amazing visitation of the Spirit, before breakthrough, I could feel the trepidation. I could feel in myself, are you willing to die to yourself? Are you willing to die to your aspirations, your, your political, uh, professional life? Because it, as, a, as a pastor who was trained in a headquarters city of a major movement in their seminary, in their chief Bible college at that time, their university, um, I knew how the game was played, just as all those pastors did. You know, you stay in a place for a little while, get your name known, you move up. You move up. You do what you have to do to grow your church because that will give you notoriety. That will give you more money. You can say it's to spread the word, and there is that truth. But at the heart of these ones, they're looking at the fact that this is my career. Are you willing to die to that? And there were parts of me that thought, boy, I would process. Well, how would that be threatened if a move of God came? See how innocent I was? But inside of me, I was having to deal with issues. Um, I wouldn't call it hatred, but that the atmosphere where that could easily grow within me was there. So I think that God always has the opportunity for people to either come into alignment with him, and with that then you die to self and you say, uh, even if my flesh rises up, even if, even if people don't understand, I'm willing to do what you want. And within you, that idea of hatred comes. I think hatred is fueled by many things. I would say carnal things, but that how does that speak in the spirit realm? How does that speak to the enemy? But it's self, self-preservation, self-promotion, it's kind of like the momentum of that, even though it may not be typecast as that. You know, if you think for one moment that a lot of the people who were driving the peaceful protests that are destroying Portland right now are altruistic, you better think again. They, they are doing things and there's an end goal for them, and it sure isn't uh, it sure isn't uh, Shangri-La. They won't say that, but it's there. Somehow, self and you're being promoted, and you don't like the people that are in power, so you want to rip them down. Somebody's going to be in power. I can tell you that right now. Um, 
but that that's a geopolitical argument and but but I think that this atmosphere of hate when it go when it begins to move regarding the end time regarding what the saints are supposed to be doing what God has promised what uh, the prophetic timetable that is being uh, revealed what God has said about how he's going to move in certain people groups and and he's going to stir uh, from their uh, from their foundational identities uh, a, a hunger for him uh, when you see uh, so many factors all of those things then threaten people in some ways there are some people that just don't like God they don't, they don't believe in God, they don't want God, and they mock him. And so they would love to take one nation under God They would and throw it under. They would love to destroy churches. They would love to get the Bible out of everything. They would love to discredit it. Because, again, that's for them an obstacle in their mind to what they want to what they want to see happen. So, in so many ways, hatred is a fulcrum influence that, in one way or another, is going to welcome uh, an idea into fruition, welcome a prophecy into, uh, into, into function, whether it is a false prophecy or a divine prophecy whether it is a, a good truth and peace or whether it is falsehood, deception, and destruction. That, that decision-making is there. I mean, you find, like with Judas, before the greatest, the greatest miracle, Jesus sacrificing himself freely, the sinless sacrifice of the Son of God, and the resurrection. Before that, you had this influence. You had the meeting of the Sanhedrin. You had Judas, who was dealing with a measure of hatred. How do you say that, Pastor Ron? Well, he was the one whose name meant the, the long knife, Iscariot. Uh, he, he was a zealot. They entrusted the money to him. John said he was a thief, but they entrusted the money to him. He wanted Rome out. He wanted the Messiah, but he didn't like the things that Jesus were saying, was saying. Even in that gap between the resurrection, the, the, the bringing back to life of Lazarus and the crucifixion, in the middle of that, a dinner at Lazarus' house where Mary broke out the, the, the sweet-smelling savor and Judas was offended. He wasn't the only one that was offended. They didn't like that kind of thing. That was not, the, that was not what was going to rid Jerusalem of Rome. But then the Sanhedrin, it's arguable whether they really wanted Rome gone. They had it pretty easy. For them, it was a curious mix. Yes, we'll tell the people we want Rome gone, but... We, we're rich, we've got power, we've got influence, we're controlling things. We can tell the people this is what we want, but we really don't want it because if the Messiah comes, who is going to be in control then? 
may not be us. That was the discussion they had in the scripture, in John. So Judas is dealing with this issue. And Satan was all over it. He entered in, the Bible says. And the, the deal was transacted. And um, Judas's goal was not brought about. He saw Jesus crucified. His end game was derailed. Judas's end game was derailed. And when he recognized that, he, he hung himself. Sad tale. Do you think Judas was the only one? No, I think, I think the enemy was looking for all takers at that point. That atmosphere was there. And um, we don't need to revisit that story. You can read it through the scripture. But prior to, even when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, you read specifically word for word what the original languages say. And Jesus, when he first entered, was dare I say, confronted and taken aback to some degree. He didn't, he wasn't subservient. It just shocked him at the presence of the enemy and how vile that atmosphere was. And he then had to allow the Spirit of the Lord as, as he continually prayed, Abba, and that, that praying, as it, as it were, Great drops of blood came from his pores. If there's any kind of thing, if you are pur if you're being purged to that degree, that means that the sinless Savior, there wasn't anything that could be surrendered, so the very blood cried out at that point because he was sinless. What was he going to surrender? He was stating openly, I've committed to breathe hard after what my Father has ordained from the foundation of the world. That's what Abba means. And again, as we've taught on that, it wasn't, Daddy, get me out of here. I don't want to. I don't want to. If you think that's what Jesus was saying, you need a, you need a good, you need a good shaking. Um, he was committed. Was it easy? No. But he dealt with that atmosphere. And then the crowd give us this murderer, this insurrectionist. That, that's nonsense. So everywhere, before a great miracle, you see the availability of hatred. Before David was anointed as king, the sons of Belial hated him, wanted to stone him. Um, you just see illustration after illustration of this. I mean, you just do in Scripture. So the last verse we want to look at today in this message, since we're almost out of time, is found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. Wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. 
He that loves not his brother abides in death. There's other scriptures that talk about if you hate your brother, you're in darkness. All of those factors that hate engenders um, death and darkness and you know it's it's just a negative uh, it's a negative influence uh he, whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him marvel not if the world hate you what was the deal with Cain and Abel Abel was just doing what God said to do. Cain had his own idea. He had his own truth, didn't he? Well, you know, I think, I, did, did God really say he wanted this type of offering? I mean, I think there's some doubt in that. You know, it, it, I think maybe we should reinterpret. I, I suspect that's not accurate. In fact, there are other opinions as to what God really wants and if, uh, if, if we believe what others are saying, uh, then, you know, it's, it's all God because God's everywhere. No. Cain killed his brother because his brother did what God wanted. Cain couldn't do what he wanted. And, you know, in that story, God said, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted and you'll be blessed. There are a lot of people today who don't like you because you're following the Lord. Marvel not that the world hates you. Do what God says to do. Do it to the best of your ability and don't engage in hate. Be, be angry, sin not. You will not be able to argue anybody out of hate. You will not be able to tell them, hey, let me tell you the better way. They're going to have to see your good works, not your good argument. And I'm speaking to myself. I, I, I've had to pray about this. For this past year, I've talked about this influence. And others have talked about you know, when COVID came, you know, to them and they felt downcast, what good am I? Kind of like that Elijah thing. You know, I'm the only one. But right before the great breakthrough, the great breakthrough hadn't come yet. Just because he killed a bunch of demonized prophets on that hillside and the drought was broken, that wasn't the breakthrough. I mean, the breakthrough was yet to come. That manifestation, which was miraculous, was just the opening of the door. The work was yet to be done. Ahab and Jezebel were still alive. The schools of the prophet were waiting. That was the breakthrough that was coming. But there at that moment, oh, you know, they, they, none of it, nobody's with me. Uh, you know, nobody's listening. I know that. I hear that. And a lot of people have felt that kind of thing over the, over the past year. But sometimes I... I listen to stuff that's out there, things that politicians are saying and what they're not saying. I see, I see things that are antithetical to what an American should be. Um, I see vile things that the progressive movement wants for our children. 
and I see I see our country educationally going downhill. I see Marxist ideology being openly, openly and unabashedly promoted as if the past 150 years since Marx and Hegel, since they first promulgated this foolishness, every one of those systems has fallen. Why has China not fallen? Because, dear God, they've, they've stolen technology. They, American companies and British companies have poured billions of dollars into their infrastructure, hoping that they would then come alive into capitalism and be a democratic bright light. Well, that ain't happening. How did Russia not come up to that? Because we stood against them. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Their, their system fell apart without Western money. So, you know, we, we have to look at what's going on. And as an American, it infuriates me. It's no sin to be angry. It's a sin to let that foment and come to the side of, of evil. Saul became angry at Agag and, and the right eye uh, threat upon his kindred and mobilized the people and they did something. How do we mobilize people? Not by marching in the streets. We mobilize by going to our Father and rejoicing and praying and believing there's a great move of the Spirit that is coming. It's, it's already here. And, you know, you need to tamp down your anger. Because anger really is a part of you that reacts to something. And you've got to get to the point where you can see the fallacy of something and then recognize, is this, choose your battles. Is this what I want to attack? What would the benefit of it be? And in doing that, would I abandon the mission that God has given me? Would it have any effect anyway? That's what we've got to process. Does it mean we like things we see? Well, in many cases, no. But if we really believe that we are on the doorstep of the end, if we really see the signs if we really recognize that joy that's set before us in the makarios of what's coming, in the midst of this propensity of hatred and in these crazy things that are happening around us that are just mind-boggling, we're aware of them, but we, as the scripture says, none of these things move me. And you need to recognize the atmosphere as the precursor for the miraculous and you need to do everything you can to stay in line with what God has said now as a man as a as a as a human being in this great country of ours do I want to do that as a man no but God's man's ways are not God's ways um, and I know it's hard I, I know but we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by the scriptures. And when we see these things, that the scriptures are very clearly detailing, we recognize we're in the middle of it. What manner of people ought we to be? We're pneumatikos, saints. 
And we have to be wise, but harmless. And we need to do what our Father is requiring us to do. So we come back to the prayer time this coming Saturday, this fast of feasting, the fifth month. And I'm encouraging all of the saints, my wonderful church family and all of the saints, to come and lay yourself before the Lord, wherever you may be, and pray. Pray in diversities of tongues. Wait on God and surrender yourself to his will and his ways. Ask him to search you and cleanse you from any evil work. Psalm 51 principle, do that. See if there be any wicked way in you. Submit it to the Lord. Speak the truth in peace. Yes, sin may abound, but God's grace much more abounds. Darkness upon the land, gross darkness the people, but my light will shine in you and on you. That's what we want. You know, I can go into a dark room and yell at the darkness, tell everybody in the room, you better, you better get out of this darkness. You, you can stumble, you can run into things, you can stub your toe, you can bang your shin, you can trip and fall over. Or I can turn on the light. I can argue with the darkness all day long and nothing changes. But if I know the principles of my father's ways, that's what people will see. Not everybody will because there are some who Jesus said in the Pharisees who were blind and they loved leading the blind. They, they were blind because they would not see. Sometimes I see people in, in uh, the political theater and they'll be presented with something that is very clear and they sit there stone-faced, stoically, and they're not going to move off their position even though they see something very clearly in front of them that a conscientious person would say, well, I still believe this, but in this instance, yes, this is wrong. Or yes, this is what should be happening. Um, you're not going to be able to convince some people who are devoted to an ideology they, they are more, Jesus said, the children of mammon are wiser in this way. They're more set on the things that they are wanting to see accomplished than the people of God are, very often, the things we believe God's wanting to accomplish. So we've got to recognize this atmosphere of hatred as something that is a precursor to the miraculous. We need to know how to navigate through it. We need to rejoice. We need to not bite we need to not uh, cast our sail to it and engage in it. That will do no one. Well, it'll do the enemy good. Won't do you any good. Certainly won't do the work of God any good. So I pray the blessing of the Lord upon you. And I ask that as we are in these intervening days between now and Saturday, as we move out of this month of April, which is another fast of feasting month, that we culminate those things that we've already committed to God and we look forward on behalf of our nation, on behalf of the world, and on behalf of mostly and triumphantly what God is wanting to do. We look to that. We rejoice. 
that's what you have to do when you're dealing with the presence of hatred. Don't become part of it because it's going to be there. We need to do the things the scripture says we do. And to me, the most important one is, first of all, to recognize that it's going to be there. Secondly, don't, with all your righteous indignation, just be baffled that the world hates you. And Jesus said, don't marvel at that. Thirdly, keep your eyes on, on, on what's ahead. Rejoice exceedingly. Um, if you want to spin in the air, if you want to go for the chul, the, the, uh, the restoration of the Lord, do that. Some of you can still jump. In. If you can't spin anymore, just jump in the air. Maybe just stand there and have somebody spin you around. And rejoice while you're doing it. <laughs> but don't drink the wine of hatred. It, 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 if this is something that we need to navigate through, turn your sails and recognize this as a sign that you're about to come in to port. And... Um, don't be don't be smashed up because of it so god bless you all we we'll look forward to praying with you on saturday and until next time keep on praying and may god be with you <laughs>